This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to the show. X-1 was an American half-hour science fiction radio drama series that was broadcast from April 24th of 1955 to January 9th of 1958 in various time slots on NBC. Known for high production values in adapting stories from the leading American authors of the era, X-1 has been described as one of the finest offerings of American radio drama and one of the best science fiction series in any medium. The program opened with announcer Fred Collins delivering the countdown. There was a revival of the series in 1973 when radio was attempting to bring back radio drama, and it lasted till 1975. The show occupied numerous time slots throughout its run in the 50s and thus was never able to really generate a large following. X-1 was an extension of Dimension X, which aired on NBC from 50 to 51. The first 15 scripts used for X-1 were scripts using the airing of Dimension X. However, it soon found its own little niche. The stories for the show came from two of the most popular science fiction magazines at the time, Astounding and Galaxy. Adaptations of these stories were performed by Ernest Canoy and George Lefertz. They even wrote a few original stories of their own. The writers of the magazine stories were not well known then, but now are giants of the industry. These stories came from the minds of like uh, Ray Bradbury, Isaac Asimov, and Paul Anderson, to name a few. And now, tonight's presentation, entitled, To the Future. Countdown for blastoff. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction, presents... X minus one... Tonight's story, To the Future, by Ray Bradbury. Time is an interesting phenomenon. 
a ticking clock, the running sands of an hourglass. All these have captured the imagination of men. But time is more. It exists now, and then, and in the future. Suppose we are in the year 1955. Coexistent in time may be worlds we have never seen. The worlds of the past and of the future. The year 1955. It was a spring night in Mexico. Fiesta time. The fireworks shot up into the clear, dark sky, and the papier-mâché bull ran about the plaza chasing boys and laughing men. Mr. and Mrs. William Travis stood on the edge of the yelling crowd, smiling. What is it? What is it? It's cheering for the bull. Here he comes. <laughs> Good, isn't it? They rigged that fire breathing. Oh, Bill, it's wonderful. I've never enjoyed myself so much in my life. <laughs> it's terrific. I caught the bull. Bravo, Toro! Bill, Bill, it will go on, won't it? I mean, I think. Sue, don't worry. I've got enough traveler's checks for a lifetime. Relax. No, but suppose they find us. Forget it. They haven't a chance. Suppose they do. Suppose they take us back. They'll never find us. Relax. Enjoy yourself. If it only lasts. Come on. Let's get out of the crowd. You need a drink. Let's try something different this time. Mm -hmm. I want to try every drink there is in the world. (laughs) Don't worry. There's no rush. We've got plenty of time now. In here. There's a table over there. Come on. Bill. Don't. Don't look right away. Over your left shoulder, right by the end of the bar. That man. What is it? I saw him this morning in the plaza. Take it easy. The town's full of tourists. He was at Juarez in a Tesco. Bill, I'm afraid. Don't stare at him. Come on. I know it's the same man. He was wearing the same white suit. Sit down, Sue. Come on, dear. Smile. Act natural. Bill, he's been following us. He's a searcher. I know he is. Quiet. Uh, here, boy. Uh, si, senor. Uh, Benedictine brandy, too. Uh, si. Uh, si, senor. He's been watching us, Bill. Put yourself together, Susan. They can't take us back. Well, you quit worrying. The chances are one in a thousand that they found us. It's probably just a coincidence. I want to lie down. I think I'm going to be sick. Susan, hang on, will you? If he is looking for us, we can't run out. He'd attract attention. He must have slipped up when we checked out in New York. What's he doing now? Stopped our waiter. He's asking him something. Well, may just want a drink. Bill, I can't stand it. I've got to go upstairs and lie down. All right, all right. As soon as we finish our drinks. What's he doing now? He... He's nodding at me. As if he knows me. He's smart. Bill, he's coming over here. Watch yourself. We've got to go right on in front of him, so if he is what we think he is, he won't suspect. I can't. We've got to. Come on. And so I said to David, well, that's absolutely ridiculous. What, what Mr. You... Christian, you did not pull up your pants leg when you sat down. What? I'm afraid you've got the wrong person. My name isn't uh, Chrysler. Kristen. Oh. I'm uh, William Travis. I don't see what my pants leg has to do with it. <laughs> Mind if I sit down? See, everyone nowadays pulls up his pants leg when he sits down. Like this. See, it keeps the trouser from bagging at the knees. But, of course, if you're not used to this style of clothing... Now, see here, we don't know you. You but... don't? I'm sorry. I thought I knew you. This is our table, if you don't mind. You see, I'm looking for two friends of mine. 
A man and his wife. Uh, very much like you. The man is an atomic scientist. The wife, a bacteriologist. Very important people. They work on government business. What are you talking about? And when I find my friends, I'm going to take them home with me. Uh, look here, Mr. Uh, Mr. Sims. That will do for now. Look, look, I understand you thought you knew us, but you see you're mistaken. I feel excuse us. My wife and I were just going up to our room. We have to make an early start in the morning. Oh, going for a trip? Acapulco, perhaps? Oh, a lovely spot. Never mind where we're going. Yes, yes, of course. You don't like crowds, tourists. Probably like to get off the beaten path. You know, I have a vacation folder here that might interest you. Please, Bill, let's go. It's, uh, it's put out by an outfit that calls itself Travel in Time, Incorporated. Travel in time? Yes. They've come up with a rather intriguing idea. Here. Travel in time, Incorporated, can costume you, put you in the crowd at any place and time in history. We guarantee to teach you any language you need to move freely in any year without risk of detection. This summer, why not escape from the worries of our modern world? Take your vacation in time. That's impossible, of course. Ah, but think what it would mean. A chance to escape all the tensions of an unpleasant life. War, insecurity, fear. Suppose you were a scientist working on a dangerous bomb project. Or you, Mrs. Travis. Suppose you were a bacteriologist working on disease cultures. And you had a chance to escape all that. To take a vacation 200 years in the past. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it? To escape to a more peaceful world. A trip back to 1955. 1955? But you said a vacation in the past. So I did. But you see, 1955 is the past. If you come from the year 2155. 2155? Yes. Terrible times. Most unpleasant. A war raging. An atomic, bacteriological war. Terrible times. With none of the little comforts we enjoy today. Like this fine Havana cigar. No, I want to go upstairs. I want to lie down. If you were living then, think of how wonderful it would be to take a vacation in time. Back to now. Suppose a young couple, like yourselves, took a trip to 1955 and didn't want to come back. Do you know what would happen? The government sends a searcher back to look for them. This is all fantastic. Nonsense. The searcher finds them and brings them back. Back to that miserable, insane, stark, pleasureless world of 2155. A pity, isn't it? Look here, Sims. Well, is... uh, do you think I shall find my two friends, Mr. Travis? Bill, please take me upstairs. I don't feel well. Oh, is the lady feeling a bit ill? How unfortunate. Here are the drinks, senor. Ah. Well, shall we drink a toast? To 2155. To the future. Inside. Inside, quick. What are you doing? Shutting a chair under the doorknob. He knows. He's been following us. He's a searcher. Look, keep quiet, so what? I want to think. They're going to take us back. It isn't over yet. I've got a headache. I'll, I'll get you an aspirin. What will they do to us? I don't know. 
Something slipped. Something must have slipped. But we were so careful. The searchers are trained to watch for detail. Things like not pulling up my trousers. Started them thinking, there's a man who isn't used to ancient clothes. I could kill myself for giving it away. No. No, it was my walk. These high heels. Here. Thanks. The nerve of that sim sitting there looking us up and down like animals. Smoking those stinking cigarettes. Yeah, that's how I first noticed him at Tesco. He had four bottles of liqueurs and a pile of chocolate. Yes, he still hasn't gotten over that first greedy hunger. We've got to look out for that. It's the sure sign of somebody from the future. Trying to make up for a lifetime of shortages by stuffing yourself sick. Remember our first night? Bill, I can't stand it. We've got to get out of here. What are you doing? Packing. Get the suitcases up. It's no use. What do you mean? We can get to Acapulco by morning. Don't you think he's watching? We could get away. No, no. We've got to sit tight. Maybe he isn't sure of us yet. Maybe we can still figure out some way to escape. Come on now. We'll need our strength. We'd better try to get some sleep. Go back. Security pull it. The bomb. The bomb. It's falling and killing. No, no. So wake up, wake up, Sue. Bill, 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 where are we? It's all right, all right, all right. Calm down, honey. We're still in 1955. It's all right. Oh. Must have had a nightmare. Oh, Bill, it was awful. We were back there. 2155. Bill, we won't go back there, will we, ever? Go back to sleep, honey. It's all right. We're in Mexico, 1955, and we're going to stay here. Sue, I've been lying awake here thinking. He's still testing us. He's not absolutely certain. He's got all the time in the world. He can stay here as long as he likes. And bring us back to the future 60 seconds after we left it. They can't make a scene, can they? They don't dare come out in the open. No, no. It might change the future. They're afraid of that. Bill, if we could only tell somebody, ask for you help. You know we can't. That's why we had to submit to the psychological block treatment before they okayed our vacation. We couldn't tell if we tried. The block's too strong. Maybe we can break it, oh, Bill. What's the use, darling? Who'd believe a crazy story like ours? Who'd believe we come from 2155? No, we, we can't tell. And they'll have to get us alone to put us in the time machine to send us back. Then that's it, Bill. We'll never be alone. It's still fiesta tomorrow. It'll be easy to stay in the crowd. Yes. Yes, that's the only chance. We can't let him get us alone. He won't get us back to that war and that insane world. Bill. Could be the room clerk. At three in the morning? I'd better answer. Don't, Bill, don't. Got to. Hello? Hello? Mr. Travis? What's the idea? It's three in the morning. Yes, yes. I just wanted to remind you the rabbits may hide in the forest, but a fox can always find them. <laughs> what was it, Bill? Bill? Never mind. Come on. Let's get some sleep. While we can. 
Buenos dias, senhora e senhora. Good morning, senhor Gomes. I trust you are spending pleasant days in my hotel. Fiesta time is the best. Yes, it's been lovely. Your special table is all ready for breakfast. Hey, where in Blazers the hotel? You, Buster, where's the hotel in this godforsaken sinkhole of a one-horse town? All the blighted deserts of the whole stinking country. So I asked them. Oh, great excitement. Very great. What is it? They come with four trucks and innumerable automobiles. Huh? A motion picture company from Hollywood. Oh, what are they going down here? They make the pictures of our fiesta for the background. That the fat man, uh, the one with the most colorful shirt, uh, he is the chief. Uh, manager! Uh, director. Manager! Where's the manager of this Adobe Flavor? Uh, coming, senor. <laughs> you will excuse me, senor, senor. I, I hope the table is satisfactory. Uh, coming, uh, coming, senor. This is a break, sir. That movie company will draw crowds, and that helps us. But when can we leave, Bill? Oh, not today. He'd be. Okay, kids, end of the line. Ciao. Get up, Maxwell, and lay off the pepper. I got an answer. Bill, there's Sims across the dining room. Can't do anything now, not with these actors coming in. Gloria, you sit next to Papa. Hello. Max, make sure nobody monkeys with the trucks and the gear. Right, Chief. Do we have to eat at this crummy joint, Joe? Uh, cheer up, sweetie. Your mere presence makes this chasens and truck roll into one. No, not this early in the morning, <laughs> Joe. I couldn't stand it. Okay, okay. Anything you want, laddies. It's on a dear old expense account. They look happy, don't they? There's an idea. Maybe I could hire two of them. I could say it was a joke. Why? We could dress them in our clothes, have them drive off in our car sometime when Sims couldn't see their faces. Where would that get us? With him off on their trail, we might make it to Mexico City. <laughs> It'd take years to find us there. Wait, that movie man's coming over. Uh, excuse me, uh, uh, you folks are Americans, aren't you? That's right. Boy, am I glad to see you. I'm so sick of hearing Spanish, I could kiss you. <laughs> hey, come on over and eat with us, huh? Well, I, uh... I don't think we should intrude. Ah, oh, come on, come on. Misery loves company. I'm Misery, and that's the company. <laughs> We're from Hollywood. Uh, so I understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boy, would I like to be there. Oh, oh, I, I'm Joe Melton. I'm the director. Uh, I'm uh, William Travis. This is my wife, Susan. Mutual. <laughs> uh, come on over, kids. Join the party. Cheer us up. Only no tamales. I burned out three kidneys on tamales since I came over the border. <laughs> ah, boy, am I funny, huh? Wonderful. Well, come on over. Hey, kiddies, I got new blood. Brother Yanks. Just a moment, Mr. Travis. I thought you might be breakfasting with me alone. Sorry. <laughs> I got him first, Mac. You want to join us? No, no, I've already ordered. Mr. Travis... I think you'd better talk with me. Say, now. is this guy giving you trouble? No, it's, uh, it's all right. Then I say the word and I'll have Max pitch him out in his ear. No, no, it's, it's all right. We'll be right over, Mr. Melton. Bill. We'll talk to Mr. Sims. Uh, Mr. Melton, you sort of keep an eye on us, huh? After all, you found us first. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, come on over soon, kids. Uh, sit down, Mr. Travis. I hope you slept well. Did you? Well, I'm not used to spring mattresses, but there are compensations. I stayed up half the night trying new cigarettes and foods. A whole new spectrum of sensation, these ancient vices. We miss something in our world, don't we? And when we get back here, we try to cram it all in a few short days. We don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Still acting, eh? But it's no use. You can't stay in crowds all the time. I'll get you alone soon enough. I'm immensely patient. However, let's come to the point. You know we can't let you get away with this escape. Other people in the year 2155 might get the same idea and do the same thing. 
And we need people. To fight your wars? Bill. It's all right, Susan. We can talk on his terms now. He's got us. We, we can't escape. Oh, at last. Really, you know, you've been incredibly romantic. Running away from your responsibilities? Running away from horror. Oh, nonsense. Only a war. Only? With half the world dead and the other half dying? Yes, but we can't have you escaping here while we drop off a cliff. Dying people love to know that others died with hey, them. Hey, kids, break it up. We're waiting on you. The longer you keep me waiting, the harder it will go on you. What do you mean? We need you on that bomb project. Return now, and no torture. Torture? Yes. You see, later we'll force you to work, and after you finish the bomb, we'll try a number of complicated new devices on you. Yeah. As you say, you can't escape. We have all the time in the world here. Sims, I'll make a deal with you. I'll come back now. If my wife stays here, alive, safe, away from that war... No, Bill, Keep no. quiet, Sue. Well, Sims, you need me for that bomb. You can duplicate her work. Hmm. It exceeds my authority, but, uh... All right. Meet me in the plaza in ten minutes. All right. I'll pick you up in the car. Good. We'll drive out into the country to some deserted spot, and I'll have the time travel machine pick us up. Bill, I won't let you. Don't argue, dear. It's settled. Sims, there's one thing. Yes? Last night, instead of calling, you could have broken into our room and got us. Why didn't you? <laughs> uh, shall we say that I was enjoying myself? Take this new fine cigar, for example. <sighs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Do you know that I have 12 boxes up in my room? And liqueurs, creme de menthe, benedictine, creme de coca, and so many others. And the wine. Oh, I've got the closets full of them. And I shall so hate to leave it all. Well, I'll meet you in the plaza in ten minutes. Your wife may stay here as long as she wishes. All right, Sims, it's a deal. Hmm. Uh, don't try anything now, Travis. I know when I'm deep. We just want a few minutes to say goodbye. I shall be seeing you then. Bill, I won't let you do it. I won't let you. Oh, please, I'm going Susan. to tell the truth. I'm going to get help. You can't. The psychological... We've got to try. It's our last chance. Hey, Bits. Hey, aren't you two going to join us? I, I Mr. Thought... Melton, I've got something to tell uh, you, and you've got to believe it me. It works. I've got to try. Uh, go ahead, kids. Spill it. You've got to understand. You see, we really... Bill. Mm -hmm. oh, my head. Huh? I can't think. My head. Say, you need a bromo, honey. It <laughs> works, Sue. The block's too strong. we better get the car. No. Someone's crying. Oh, somebody, please. Uh, breakfast, no time for people to cry. Now, what in the world could a good-looking kid like you find to cry about? Bill, I won't let you do it. Don't make it hard, Susan. Let me go back with you. We'll get through somewhere. You think I'd let you go back to that war? Sue, please stop. We haven't got much time. It was so wonderful here, Bill. <laughs> There he is, smoking those Turkish cigarettes, waiting for us. There must be some way, some way we can both stay here. Maybe there is. Bill, what are you going to do? Hang on, Sue, and duck when I tell no, you. No, Bill, you're heading right for him. He's not going to get either of us now. Down, Sue, down!
It's all right, darling. It's all right. It's all over. Darling, this is the mayor. Uh, Senor, your husband has been officially cleared in this most unfortunate affair. It is obvious this senor seems died of an unavoidable accident. An accident? Oh, yes, yes, of course. Adios, senor, senora. Will they want to see you again? No. No, I'm clear. Oh. I lost control of the car. That's the way it stands. Sue, I hated to kill him. I've never wanted to do anything like that in my life. Where shall we go now? Mexico City? The car's in the repair shop. Won't be ready till four. And we'll get out. Hey there, Travis. Wait up. Oh, it's that movie man, Bill. He was very good to me when they had you in there. Hey, I heard what happened. They sprung you, huh? Great, great. Yes, it was an accident. Well, lucky you didn't get hurt yourselves. Everything okay now? Yes. Yes, I think so. Ah, it's fine, fine. But you both look a little rocky. Say, say, you want to get your mind off your troubles. Uh, we're through for the day. Clouds followed up our shooting schedule. We're going to put a header on it up at the hotel. Gloria's cracking the ice now. Well, maybe we will join you. But first, I've got to check up on the car. Well, don't miss the party, kiddies. See you upstairs. Bill, I don't Relax, think... Relax, that... honey. We've got the break now. Sims is dead. Before they can put another searcher on our trail, we'll have time to make a clean getaway. How about the car? We'll be ready till four. We've got a couple of hours to kill. I'm so tired. What you need is a little excitement. We rate a celebration, honey. Well, I guess it would be nice to unwind. Sure. We'll go up to Melton's room, have a couple of drinks, a few laughs. Don't worry, honey. It's all over. We can relax. I might even give you a test. Oh. oh, I mean it, honey. You're pretty nice. I could make you a movie star. Uh, and take me to Hollywood? Uh, at least to get us out of Mexico. <laughs> You're not serious. Well, sure I am. Gloria, how about a refill? Yeah, I'm coming up. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it, Bill? Uh, um, Los Angeles is a, is a pretty crowded city, isn't crowded. it? Crowded? <laughs> hey, wait till you see the sunset bus. Well, you don't really think I could be an actress, do you? Mm. <laughs> you don't have to cheer me up anymore. I'm feeling wonderful no, now. No, no, I'm serious. Really? Well, what kind of a film do you think my wife would be good for? Well, I want to do a suspense story. Uh, sort of a war story, you know. Uh, Gloria, pour Mr. Travis another glass. A story about a man and a wife. Uh, you live in a little house. I'm just ad-libbing this, you understand? Oh, sure, sure. Go on. Uh, there's a war on, see? A terrible war, you see? And they live in the year, oh, uh... Twenty-one fifty-five. Yeah. Now here's the gimmick: uh, they escape into the past and they kill a man who follows them to bring them back. Uh, Gloria, honeypot, uh, get Mister Travis another glass. He dropped his. Well, sir, uh, this couple takes refuge with a group of movie people. Uh, safety in numbers, they figure. Yeah. Ah, but the story goes on. Uh, this couple is uh, uh, terribly important for a new bomb. Let's call it the. Leprosy bomb. So the searchers 
figure out a way that they can get them alone. In a hotel room. Shove a chair under the door now, Max. Yes, sir. You see, the searchers may work alone. Or in groups of eight. So that if one of them's killed, the rest carry on. Don't you think that'd make a wonderful picture, huh, Susan? Uh, don't you, Bill? You're the point you get us, Milton. <laughs> Stand still. Look out! Put that gun down, Travis. Mr. Travis. Mr. Travis. Who is it? Uh, the manager. Your car is all ready. Shall I... Grab him! Let, let go of me. Let go! Let's not make things worse, Mr. Travis. <laughs> let me in. What were those shots? Let me in. The manager, you heard the shots. Let's get going. Let go of me. Let me in there. Let me in. He'll break down the door in a minute. Max. Get ready to travel. Get the chair. Take a good look, Mr. Travis. Take a good look at 1955. You won't be seeing it anymore. No! Throw the no! chair! No! All right. Break it down. Break it down. Who shot that? Where are they? I was at the door. I heard them inside. They are gone. The windows. No. The iron bars are undisturbed. Well, what happened to them? They, they, they just disappeared, all of them. Senor, I think you had better send for the priest in the holy water. Later, later. They, they just disappeared. Look in the closet. Bottles. Hundreds of bottles. And boxes of 20 pesos, pure Havana, fewer cigars. These crazy Americanos. Why would anyone leave all this behind? One. Never question providence. Ah, bien. There is enough here to last us both for a month. I think we can look forward to a most happy future. You have just heard X-1 presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Street and Smith. Publishers of astounding science fiction. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you To the Future by Ray Bradbury. It was adapted for radio by Ernest Kenoy. Featured in the cast were Terry Keene, Alexander Scorby, Mercer McLeod, Joe DeSantis, Guy Sorrell, Alan Collins, and Stan Early. This is Fred Collins speaking. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. Stay tuned for The Fred Allen Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Fred Allen Show. Fred's first taste of radio came while he and Portland Hoffa waited for a promised slot in a new Arthur Hammerstein musical. In the interim, they appeared on a Chicago radio program, WLS Showboat, into which Allen recalled Portland and I were presented to inject a little class into it. <laughs> their success in these appearances helped their theater reception, you see, live audiences in the Midwest like to see their radio favorites in person. Even Alan and Hoffa would be replaced by Bob Hope when the show moved to New York several months afterward. Well, the couple eventually got their Hammerstein show, Polly, which opened in Delaware and made the usual tour before hitting Broadway. Also in that cast was a young Englishman named Archie Leach, who received as many good notices for his romantic appeal as Alan got for his comic work. 
Hammerstein retooled the show before bringing it to New York, replacing everyone but two women and Alan. Leach decided to buy an old car and drive to Hollywood. What Archie Leach didn't tell me, Alan remembered, was that he was going to change his name to Cary Grant. Pauling never succeeded in spite of several retoolings, but Alan did go on to successful shows. Alan's perfectionism, odd to some considering his deft ad-libs, caused him to leap from sponsor to sponsor until Town Hall Tonight allowed him to set his chosen small-town milieu and establish himself as a bona fide radio star. And tonight's show features special guest, Georgie Jessel. It isn't the mayor of Anaheim, Azusa, and Cucamonga, kid. <laughs> the makers of Blue Bonnet Margarine and Tenderleaf Tea present the Fred Allen Show with Fred's guest, George Jessel, Portland Hoffa, Minerva Pius as Mrs. Nussbaum, Alan Reed as Falstaff Openshaw, the Tenderleaf Workshop Players, the DeMarco Sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And if you wonder who Senator Claghorn is, my name is Kenny Delmar. In the January issue of Cosmopolitan Magazine, ladies and gentlemen, the so-called star of this program was selected as the Cosmopolite of the Month. He's been called about everything else, but this month he's a Cosmopolite. And here he is, Fred Allen. Thank you. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And, Kenny, that story about me and Cosmopolitan, written by H. Allen Smith, turned out quite well, I thought. Yeah, you know, Fred, all of the magazines seem to be saluting people each month. They're always saluting. I've noticed that. Yeah, the Time magazine made President Truman the man of the year in January. You know, I hear Time is making Mayor LaGuardia the man of the month for February. It's a short month, I think. (laughs) The Hobo, the other magazines are still going full blast. The Hobo News is making Jack Benny the tramp of the month. <laughs> Pick is picking the punk of the month. And the Poultry Journal may be a... Well, Portland. <laughs> you, uh, you want to cut in, Portland? Kenny and I are talking about magazines saluting different people. Has anyone in your family ever been honored by a magazine? Well, last year, the Police Gazette chose Mama as Miss Patrol Wagon for 1945. <laughs> Miss Patrol Wagon, huh? Is that... <laughs> I'll laugh at it. At least you got me. Is that a... Uh... Is that, is that a, a camp stool you have with you there? It's for Mama. She's standing in line. Standing in line for what? Mama doesn't know whether she's going to see the picture at the Roxy, get a ticket for Florida, or end up with a pair of nylons. She, uh, she doesn't know? Mama just saw a long line and got in it. Oh, well, that's... That's the trouble with the country today, Portland. Half of the people are standing in line to buy things. The other half is standing in line picketing. But aren't you... uh... (laughs) Just a mild demonstration, if any. We work it up as we go along. When Mr. Jessel arrives, big thing. 
But tell me, aren't you, Portland? Aren't you cold with those liquid stockings on? No, I always mix in a little antifreeze. Oh, with me. There's only one trouble with liquid stockings in the winter. If it gets hot all of a sudden, you've got a shoe full of stocking. You never can tell. Last week, Mama drank some liquid stockings by mistake. Drank some? Didn't it bother her? For two days, she hiccuped Bobby socks. I know a man who drank a whole bottle of liquid stockings accidentally. Was he sick? No, but he had to swallow a garter to hold his stomach up. That was the last time he saw Paris. And speaking of goddess, when you've got to go to Allen's Alley, you've got to go. Remind me to give the writers more money. These women, they've got to go. Have you a question ready? A question? You bet. You know, this past week, strikes closed most of the meatpacking plants throughout the country, shutting off the country's supply of meat. And so our question tonight is, if you have been unable to get your quota, how have you been coping with the meat shortage? Shall we go? As the electric fan said when somebody turned it on... I think I'll blow. <laughs> well, here we are back in Allen's Alley, Portland. I guess the senator's home all right. His bullwhip is coiled up on the front step there. Somebody, I say, somebody now. Now, look, Senator. Clackhorn's the name, Senator Clackhorn. I know, is. I know your name. You're from the South. I'm a ding-dong daddy from Dallas. You're a... Down the river, you You're winded, hey? <laughs> Only momentarily, son. <laughs> Good. Now, I'll get in there. What about this meat strike? I, brought, I say, I brought it up in the house. Pay attention now, son. <laughs> I heard Claire loose talk. <laughs> loose talk, that's a joke, son. I know it's a joke. I don't care. That was a Birmingham belly bus. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> you should be yucking. You ain't even smirking. I don't even get a chance to smirk. Hold up, son. You don't get it. You're from back country. Now, <laughs> look, Senator, what about this meat problem? Well, the nation's capital will have plenty of meat for everybody. Well, where is Washington going to get this meat? Son, there's 130 million Americans. Yes. And today, every American is sending his beef to Washington. So long, Well, the senator has a head like a pot roast. It brings back happy memories. Well, I hope Titus Moody is still up tonight. Now, let's see. Howdy, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Your exhaust is working well, Mr. Moody. You, uh, you feel all right? You look a little shaky. Boy, was I stiff last night. Drinking? No, no. Somebody put starch in my bath water. You, uh, you have a bathtub in the house? No, no. 
Every Saturday night, I take a can of Dutch cleanser and lower myself down into the well. In in this cold weather? No. During the winter, I don't slop around in the well. Well, how, uh, how do you keep clean? Once a week, I go over myself with a racer and a whisk broom. <laughs> well, how, uh, how about the meat shortage? Oh, that don't bother me, none. I'm a vegetarian. Well, haven't you ever tasted meat? Only once. That cured me. What happened? About 20 years ago, a city fella come around selling rabbits. And you bought one? Yeah. He gave me the rinky-dink. The old R.D., hey? Yeah. Well, how do, you, how do you mean? He was dishonest. Dishonest, huh? Yeah, looked like a rabbit, cooked like a rabbit, tasted like a rabbit. What makes you think it wasn't? Well, for two weeks after I ate the rabbit... Yes? Every time I smelled catnip, I turned a somersault. Come on, Mr. Moody still has that hang-cat look, I must say. Oh, well, what will a knock at this door bring? No. Oh, Mrs. Nussbaum. You are expecting maybe Weinstein Churchill? Uh. (laughs) Tell me, uh, Mrs. N., has the meat strike bothered you? I am in a dilemma. Uh. (laughs) Dilemma? There is such a word. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, dilemma is a word. You uh, you might have read it someplace. I'm only reading broken English. Oh. As I am speaking, so I am reading. Oh, fine. Why be deceitful? Who am I fooling? Well, I see your point, yes. I agree with your terror. But what about the meat shortage? Confidentially, we are having well in hand the situation. You, uh, you had some old meat stored up, did you? Oh, no. My husband, Pierre, is buying a goat. A second-hand billy. A second-hand <laughs> A used goat. A, li- a live goat? The first night, we are locking him in the clothes closet. I see. During the night, the goat is eating the backs off of three of Pierre's union suits. Oh, gosh. The next day, the goat Pierre is killing and we are having for dinner. Well, after eating the backs off three union suits, how did the goat taste? Like flapjacks, but delicious. Oh, I... The little vine covered shanty at the end of the alley. A knock here should certainly start something. Shout huzzah, scream adjectives flowery. Falstaff is here, the bard of the Bowery. Well, Falstaff. Something tells me that you have new poems for us tonight. Oh, indubitably. Have you heard when they pinched Uncle Charlie, his excuse was a honey? He claimed he was in the bank just feeling the money. <laughs> No, I haven't heard that. Or, uh, the jukebox was playing I'm Confessin' as she lured me into the delicatessen. No. (laughs) No. How about this? Mother, please don't point father at me. He may be loaded again. Now, wait a minute. (laughs) Please. Tonight, we are simply discussing the meat strike. Precisely why I am here. I would bark some doggerel. Well, what is your meat poem called? Joy reigns supreme in the stockyards. Uh-huh. How does it go? Joy reigns supreme in the stockyards. When the meat strike was called through the nation, the cattle doomed to die in their pens gave the news tremendous ovation. A little ram frisked with his ewe. 
A Holstein kissed one of the steers. A big shaggy heifer danced round like a zephyr. A brindled cow mooed out three cheers. Yes, joy reigned supreme in the stockyards. Chicago's never seen such a sight. A jubilant ox jumped up on a box and yelled, Ah, oh, there's good news tonight. <laughs> and as Bart Openshaw scouts to the wings, we turn to our melodic misses, the five DeMarco sisters. Tonight, accompanied by Al Goodman and his poor man's Philharmonic, the DeMarco sing Hubba Hubba from the new picture, Doll Fate. <laughs> Just a few flakes from Let It Snow, played by Maestro Al Goodman <laughs> and his racing form rhythm boys. Okay, um, yes, Portland. Uh, shall I call these letters here? If you will, please. Those are the last of the Jack Benny contest letters. I've been up three nights reading them. You know, I'm one of the judges. And uh, speaking of letters, Portland reminds me, could you get your pencil, please? I want to dictate a letter. I'm all ready. You're ready? We'll take this down. Mr. George Jessel, 20th Century Fox Studios. Dear Mr. Jessel, you are a rap, capital R. Signed, yours sincerely, Fred Allen. Get that off instantly. Well, I thought you and Georgie were friends. I'll never speak to Jessel again unless I happen to get a wrong number. <laughs> Gosh, what happened? Well, last week, Mr. Jessel was here in New York. You know, he's a big producer for 20th Century Fox Pictures now. And I received a note saying that Mr. Jessel wanted to see me. So I got all dressed up, got my cane out of Simpsons, and started for Mr. Jessel's office. <laughs> When I arrived at the 20th Century Fox building, I found Mr. Jessel's office, a big nylon door, and I knocked on the door. Come in, come in. Georgie Jessel. Well, Georgie. Excuse me, Fred. I'm on the phone at the moment. Hello, Lidget Drugstore. This is Georgie Jessel speaking. I want six boxcars of Bromo Seltzer sent out to my studio in Hollywood right away. Okay. 
Georgie, six boxcars of Bromo Seltzer. It's for my new picture, Fred. Bromo Seltzer? Yes, I'm making a sequel to The Lost Weekend. It's called Saratoga Drunk. Oh. <laughs> Laugh, son. What's the matter with you? Saratoga. <laughs> Saratoga Drunk sounds like a great picture. Well, it's a new idea, Fred. An elephant drinks too much and sees 200 pink sabus. <laughs> Only in Hollywood could you possibly pick up two hundred pink sabus. And Hollywood, I must say, has surely changed you, Georgie. Those clothes you have on. Oh, well, this is my working suit, Fred. The <laughs> shirt happens to have a pink dicky, but nobody noticed. No. A mink? It's mink, isn't it? It yeah. isn't pink. It's a mink dicky. Right. And it goes well. That's right. Goes well. Success. <laughs> says pink here, but I'll say mink anyway. <laughs> it goes well with that fur mandarin coat you have on. Yes, this is genuine grizzly bear. <laughs> Instead of the belt in the back, it has a big paw hanging down. Oh, a... <laughs> this paw is spelled more. <laughs> Big paw. But as you are, you Hollywood tycoons with your paws hanging down on the back, I suppose you're still living in that house out in Beverly Hills that looks like the Rose Bowl with Phoenician flies. Oh, you, you should see it now, Fred. I've had all the grass dyed white. You have white grass? Yes. Why? Well, when the newsboy throws the paper on the lawn, the color shouldn't clash. You see? <laughs> lavender trees and a pink hedge and a plaid sidewalk. Well, say, this riot of colors must be causing plenty of comment. What comment? Nobody even notices it. In Hollywood, who takes off the dark glasses? Oh, I... <laughs> Georgie, I wonder what would happen if one day everybody in Hollywood took off their dark glasses and all of the people got a good look at each other. This is a horrible thought, Fred. <laughs> But tell me about your house, George. You have a swimming pool, of course. I have the biggest pool in Hollywood. Well, how big is it? Well, when you stand on one side of the pool... Yes? On the other side, you can hear voices yelling. When are they going to send us home? That's how big the pool is. Great success, Georgie. I saw your last picture of the Dolly Sisters. It was swell. Well, what I did for the Dolly Sisters, Fred, I can do for you. As a matter of fact, that's why I sent for you. Really? I want to produce a story of your life. The story of my life? Yes. It'll be bigger than Daryl Zanuck's uh, Leave It to Heaven. I had to get it in. They but, made but me. But, Georgie, I know they have a big whip out there when you leave on the plane. But, Georgie, what actor could you possibly get to play my life? Don Amici? No, Amici's tied up. Really? You know, with the telephone situation, he's sorry he started the whole thing off. <laughs> No, there's only one man to play your life, Fred, and that is you. You mean that I will be the star? Star? Why, it's your life. Everybody else in the picture is just a stooge. I'm the whole picture. Yes, Fred, there's just one little thing. Yes, George. Well, now, you know how Alfred Hitchcock always sneaks into some scene in every picture that he directs. Yes, you always see Mr. Hitchcock in the crowd trying to get into the automat with his nickel out or something. That's right, that's right. Now, do you mind if I do just a little bit like that in your picture? A little bit? Of course not, George. You know, they'll just see the back of my head maybe in a barber's chair or... Maybe I'll run past the camera with a pushcart fast. Nobody will see. <laughs> Suppose we just call that a producer's whim. Well, know. anything you say, Georgie. Now, what is this story like? All right, the picture opens with the 20th Century Fox signature music. George Jessel presents The Life of Fred Allen, starring Fred Allen. Stay. That's wonderful, Georgie. Now what happened? Now, as the story opens, Fred, you are four years old. Now, wait a minute. Well, how can I play a four-year-old kid? 
Fred, our makeup man can do anything, really. But I'm six feet tall. How can I be a kid? You play the whole first scene on your knees. <laughs> on my knees? Yeah, we'll glue some shoes on your kneecaps, and nobody will know the difference. Well, if I walk on my knees, my arms will be dragging on the ground. So we'll double up your arms, stick little false fingers on your elbows. Well, after I'm made up, what do I do in the picture? Well, the story opens in Illinois. Now, you see, now, Fred... Wait, wait a minute, Georgie. I was born in Boston, in Massachusetts. I know that, Fred, but we have an old Illinois set left on the lot from another picture. <laughs> what picture? Home in Indiana. Home in Indiana. Now, Fred, if you're going to question no, every little... No, no, you're the Fred. producer, Georgie. Go All on. right, all right. The picture opens. It is morning. To little Freddie Allen, starting out in life, the world is a glorious adventure. He is on his way to school, happy, carefree. But see, he stops. The little tyke is worried. Is he late for school? By the side of the road, he sees a gaunt, lean man chopping logs. Hurrying over to this woodchopper, little Freddie says, Sir, what is the time? The time, my son? It's time for every American to stop and ponder. Our country is at the crossroads. Sit down on this log, son. I'm only a rail splitter myself. My name is Lincoln. Abe Lincoln. Now, wait a minute, sir. I wrote a talk, but I'm going to make an My boy, I'd like you to hear it and tell me what you think of it. Sit down on the log and I'll read it for you. Look, now, wait. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation. Now, look. Conceived in liberty and dedicated to the revolution. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Now, stop the music. Stop the music. What's the matter, Fred? What's wrong? What's wrong? Yeah. This is supposed to be the life of Fred Allen. It starts out the whole thing is Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> now, Fred, who is sitting there on the log listening to Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> you. Now, the way the camera said, whose face is the audience? See, yours. And I want to tell you something. You were great. I was great, yes. I didn't do anything. You don't understand pictures, Fred. Well, look, I... Uh, now, do you realize what America owes you? If you hadn't let Lincoln try out his Gettysburg address on you, he might have gotten discouraged and torn up the whole business. Well, I can't you hear people saying, why, well, if it wasn't for little Fred Allen, the Civil War might still be going on. Now, but, George, if I was four years old when Lincoln was a rail splitter... Today, I'd be 125 years of age. Who listens? Who cares about such things in pictures? Maybe a couple of history professors who are sitting in the balcony, that's all. <laughs> or Joel Copperman. Now, pay no attention to it. Just wait till you see this next thing. Am I in it? Am I in it? He says, am I in it? It's, it's all you, Fred. You're a young man, but you have taken to drink. Drink? Yes, you're living in Albany. It's apple country, and you're a cider fiend. <laughs> Full of cider, huh? Yeah, full of cider. Now you have to make a decision. What will it be? Cider or success? As the scene opens, it's the waterfront. The camera's on a jug of cider in your hand. It's clutching that jug. Will young Fred Allen be picked up by Cider Anonymous? See, he awakens, still in a stupor. He staggers up to a man standing next to a boat on the dock. Allen speaks. Mister, what day is this? What day is this, young man? Today is a new day in American navigation. My name is Fulton, Robert Fulton. Now, wait a minute. In a few minutes, I'm testing my steamboat, the Clermont. That's why this crowd is here right now. <laughs> Folks, in a minute, you'll see a miracle, a boat driven by steam. <laughs> Fulton's father. All right. All right, laugh, you fool. But I'll show you. I told you my boat would go today. I'll steam down the river. Steam down, Mr. Fulton. Steam down. All right, cast those ropes to start the engine. Watch my steam. <laughs> Keep her! The clam on stupid! I told you it would! Anchors away! Ah. <laughs> <laughs> 
a minute. Now, what's the matter, Fred? What? Matter? This is the story of my life. I'm already 25 years old, and so far in my whole life, I have spoken twice. I have asked two questions. Fred, you don't understand pictures. I don't understand pictures, but Georgie, if I only had some lines to say, at least I could pull the whistle on the boat. Stop pulled whistles on a boat? But what is Robert Fulton? Look, you don't get the significance, Fred. I did something again? Certainly you did. You see, when Fulton faced that mob of scoffers, he was about to give up. But he saw in the crowd one face that encouraged him. The camera closes in. This face that he saw, this is yours. You mean that I'm there on the dock? Why, if it wasn't for you today, there would be no Fulton fish market. (laughs) There'd be no steam. There'd be no Turkish bass. No steam... Tailors would be pressing pants by hand. But, Georgie... Stop complaining, will you? Because the rest of the picture is all you. Well, it's about time. Now, what happens now? Next scene opens down south. Uh-huh. You started a new life, Fred. You Good. got a job. Good. You're Good. on your way to rent a room. And Good. as we fade in, you're walking up the stairs of an old southern mansion. Sounds Good. Yes, Fred Allen has made a comeback. He has worked. His eyes are bright. The world is before him. He knocks on the door of the old southern mansion. Not kindly old man with snow-white hair opens the door. Pardon me, sir. Have you a room to rent? Come right in, son, and set yourself down. My name is Foster, Stephen Foster. Now, wait a minute. (laughs) I wrote a new song this morning, and I want to sing it for you. Now, look, George. Way down upon the Swanee River, The last straw. All right, now what? What is this picture? The life of Fred Allen or a George Jessel cavalcade? What do you mean? <laughs> now, stop stalling, Jessel. You were just going to put the back of your head in my picture. Now, first the picture, you're Lincoln, then you're Fulton, now you're Stephen Foster. When do you show up as Florence Nightingale? <laughs> Who showed you the script? Never mind picture end. How does the picture end? Every picture fades out with a kiss. Don't tell me you're a contortionist and you kiss yourself. (laughs) Now listen, Fred Allen, I'm the producer. And listen, George Jessel, I'm the star. If this is the life of Fred Allen, I won't stand for it. All right, I'll tell you what to do. Drop dead and I'll make your life a two real short. Fine, well, I'll do that. Make it a question. I want to thank Georgie Jessel for joining us tonight. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, next Sunday night, the Fred Allen Show brings you comedy. (laughs) Drama. But, Henrietta, you're too young to die. Oh, yeah, hand me that peroxide. And our guest will be... That writer of hit tunes, Johnny Mercer. Thank you. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Whistler, followed by Red Skelton. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.